Hey guys, it's Roxy O'Reilly here, and it is episode 9 of Roxy Podcast. I'm here with... Adam, and we're still reading... The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. Actually, we're finished reading, right? Yeah. Um, so... We... St- chapter 9, yeah, chapter right, 9. So we're going to talk about chapter 9, there's a short epilogue, and then we're going to wrap things up with what we learned from the book. Okay. So, um... You have a family. Yep. Do you ever go out to dinner? Yep. Do you ever decide who gets to decide who goes out, where you go to eat? Nope. Do you ever have arguments where one person is like, I want to go to Johnny Moo, and someone else it says, I want to go to somewhere else? Mm, maybe. Maybe. So what seems like a good way, if you have a bunch of people trying to decide um, – something to do, what seems like a good way to decide if you have a whole bunch of people trying to decide what's the best choice? You guys guess. Okay, have you guessed? It's voting. Voting. And voting is perfect, and there can never be any problems. You just have everyone vote, and then you take the answer, and everyone will be happy, right? Have right. Okay, so at the beginning, um, we had a pretty simple um, situation. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you want to explain what happened of our family, what our preferences are? Okay, so my family is going to dinner, and my dad wants McDonald's, my mom wants Burger King, I want Japanese, and my brother wants Italian. Okay, so this is now a difficult situation because you have four different restaurants, four different votes, um, and so there's no way to know like what's the best one, mm-hmm. right? So we go to vote. And what happened? So they both, they all want, I mean, we all want different options, but mom and dad both vote for McDonald's, which is smart. So McDonald's wins. Why did McDonald's wins? Because there's two votes against. Because mom lied, right? Mom prefers Burger King, but she votes for McDonald's. She says, McDonald's, that's pretty close. And so I'm going to not vote for my um, first choice. I'm going to vote for maybe my second choice to make sure my second choice wins rather than maybe getting stuck with some, like, terrible Japanese food. And then mom mom and dad are like, ha ha, we tricked those dumb kids. Just saying my mom likes Japanese food. Okay, so what's that called? It's called strategic voting. Okay, so strategic voting is something that ends up happening quite a lot because most times when you're, like, voting for president, voting for any kind of political kind of stuff, um, sometimes there are lots of different people running. Mm-hmm. But maybe – and usually the way it works is whoever gets the most votes wins. Mm-hmm. Okay? So um, why would someone want to vote strategically? Because – if you don't vote strategically, sometimes you don't get what you want or what you second want. You get stuck with the thing that you don't want. You get stuck. Yeah. So a lot of times you want that it's really it's, – if it's whoever gets the most votes, sometimes like two people are both at like 40, 45 percent or something. And then there's a bunch of people at like one or two percent. And even if the one or two percent people are the best, you don't want to vote for them because – no one else is voting for them. That you would like, you would like them to win, but they can't win. So you should try and vote between the two people who are um, leading. Yep. Okay. So strategic voting happens when we have lots of choices. What if we mm-hmm. don't have lots of choices? 
If we only have two choices, then it's pretty simple because everyone votes for their first choice. Right. If there's only two choices, you only have a first choice and a worst choice. And why would you vote for your worst choice when you can、mm-hmm. vote for your first choice? Yep. Okay. So then we talked. We've talked about fairness. Yeah. We've talked about fairness in the past.、Um, so basically, we have to create a voting machine. Mm-hmm. Which takes in people's preferences. However, we want to say like you can rank first choice, second choice, third choice. You can think of other ways that you can kind of describe what things you like and don't like.、Mm-hmm. And this voting machine has to have a set of rules that will take in all the preferences. Maybe there's four people in a family.、Mm-hmm. Maybe there's millions of people in a country, and it needs to tell you who wins. Who wins the vote?、Yeah. And so we had so a bunch of mathematician type people who tried to、um, give some conditions of things that make a voting machine, a voting system, fair. So who's the first、um, person we? His、to? name is Kenneth May. Kenneth May. And he has four conditions for the fairness. Number one, it's called voters' equality. It's basically simple. Everyone's vote counts the same. Number two, neutral neutrality, and it means you can't favor one candidate. So the the machine doesn't say、um, McDonald's always wins or give any favor to one thing or the other.、Uh, so it doesn't really. It's fair between the different. So it's. People are fair that their votes count the same, and the options are fair that it doesn't kind of care one option over the other. Yeah. Number three, universal applicability. It means always gives a decision, including ties. So it could have ties. So this is not a very interesting kind of thing. It just says that the machine never just says, "I don't know what to do." That it gives you an answer. So this is not. This is just kind of like it does something. It gives you an answer.、Mm-hmm. Number four, positive association. Winner doesn't change if more people vote for the winner. Okay, so that would be kind of weird if you add a new vote for the first the first thing that wins, and then、mm. it somehow is no longer in first place. Yeah. Um. And so, in a lot of decision kind of things,、um, neutrality is one that gets violated quite a bit.、Mm-hmm. So, when might we not have neutrality in a voting system? Hmm. When you need to vote to change things. So, what wh- what do you mean? Why would you not? Why would that not be neutral? If if nobody can agree on it. So if nobody can agree on.、It. So let's say here's a simple example. What time does school start? Nine. Starts really. Eight. Eight. Okay. School starts at eight o'clock in the morning. Is that the right time for school to start? Sure. Or would you? Is there a better time? If you could choose when school starts, would you choose eight a.m. or would you choose a different time? Nine. Okay, so let's say you say, "I think school should start at nine a.m." Some other people say, "I think school should start at like seven a.m." Like the parents may be like, "I want my kids to be out of the house like super early so I can go do fun grown-up stuff." What? I don't know.、Um, and so some people think we should change. The time to nine o'clock. Some people think we should change the time to seven o'clock. Some people say it's okay being at eight o'clock.、Um, and so, right now, school starts at eight o'clock. So we need to vote to change it. 
So maybe more people, more people like nine o'clock than eight o'clock. But if only like 45% of people like nine o'clock and then some people like eight o'clock, some people like seven o'clock, um, eight o'clock is winning to begin with because if no one can agree between seven o'clock and nine o'clock to work together to agree to change it, even though most people might say we should change it. Um, if you don't have 50% who agree on which exactly what to change it to, you aren't going to um, change anything. So yep. that happens more usually with um, decisions rather than voting for people, but that is something that may happen. Okay, so Kenth May has his four rules, and what did he discover or he, prove? He proved that Simple majority is the only system that satisfies these criteria. Okay, so simple majority, just everyone votes for their first choice, and mm-hmm. whoever has the most votes wins. So yeah. everyone votes counts the same. Pretty neutral that you just vote for the different options, each vote for them. Um, so Always gives a decision, yes, mm-hmm. and if you have the most votes and you get some more votes, you're still going to be the winner, right? Yeah. Fun fact. Did you know that Alfred North Whitehead and Bertrand Russell needed 379 pages to prove 1 plus 1 equals 2? Yeah, so they had to prove, they had to start with saying, what is 1? What is 2? What is plus? What is equals? And then every time you try and explain it, so it's kind of like, um, you kind of have to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper or going around in circles. Um, what does um, a dog mean? What does the word dog mean? A dog means the animal, means that animal, that means that animal. What's an animal? An animal is a being that... What's a being? Being is a thing in the universe that's alive. What is alive? Alive is able to communicate, breathe, see, hear. Able to breathe. Okay, so we could see how we could spend a lot, a lot of pages, a lot of words trying to explain what a dog is if we have to keep going deeper and deeper and explain everything that's kind of behind these concepts if we don't know what an animal is, what alive is, what all these things actually mean. Moving on, that's just a random aside that has nothing to do with game theory just at all. Just because it's fun fact. Anyways, um, Condorcet's Paradox. Condorcet may have been a Frenchie, a French guy. Um, okay. So this is something that seems kind of um, illogical, um, paradoxical. That's why it's a paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in general, so we have three people voting for three choices. What are we going to vote on? We're voting on cat, dog, or parrots. So are we going to get a cat, a dog, or a parrot? And basically, the way this works is that we can set up, if there are three people voting, Mm -hmm. we can set up so that the first person has, like, so the cat, dog, and parrot each get one vote. But if you just do cat and dog, who wins between cat and dog? Who do you think? It doesn't matter. Oh, oh, um, cat? Cat. Okay, so we say two out of the three people prefer cats to dogs. 
And then two out of the three people prefer parrots to cats. And then two out of three people prefer dogs to parrots. So it kind of goes round and round in a circle, like a rock, paper, scissor kind of thing. Yeah. Where if you vote for, if you're just picking between two of these things, depending on which two you pick, um, you can decide, you can always find something that is better, that no matter what we pick, they say, we're getting a dog. And then everyone's going to say, wait, most of us like parrots better. And I say, okay, let's get a parrot. Wait, most of us like cats better. Mm-hmm. And we can keep going round and round the circles. And so Condorcet said this is something that can happen in a voting system um, where no matter who wins the vote, there is an option that everyone else that you could – if the preferences start a certain way, um, that no matter who wins the vote, there is going to be a different option that most people would prefer that different option. Yep. And so there's another person called Kenneth. Kenneth Arrow um, won a Nobel Prize, I believe. And this is probably the most famous um, theorem in um, politics, political science. Really? I believe so. I do okay, not know a whole lot of other... it's called impossibility theorem. There is no impossible, my opinion. Okay, so in math, you can show that things are actually impossible. Um, mm, in my opinion, there's no impossible in the world. Okay, so Kenneth Arrow had four conditions for fairness. It's really three conditions because one of them, the universal applicability, um, just says that we get an answer. Yeah. So assuming that our voting system is going to give us an answer, say that someone wins, um, there are really only three conditions. And um, It's number one, no dictators. What is a dictator? It means it's the person who... Dictator, it takes the whole thing, so it's the person you – they just choose that person. All right. Yeah. So so we're going to vote on – so my voting system for vo- voting on where we go to dinner is everyone votes and then whatever Adam votes for wins. That's hey, a perfectly – that's, a, that's a perfectly reasonable – it may not be fair, but that is a perfectly reasonable voting system. Okay. So another um, – Relatively uncontroversial one is unanimity. Yep. Okay, it means if every if everyone prefers parrot to cat, then parrot should finish above cat. Yeah, that would be kind of ridiculous if everyone thinks that cats are better than parrots, and we know that no one would think that because who likes How cats? Dare you? It was your example. Hey, do you guys like cats? Okay, great. Ca- uh tumbleweed is that the sound of nothing like how dare you <laughs> we're in front of a live studio audience of thousands of people right now recording and not a single one cheered for cats hey how dare you listen <sighs> see okay and last one the most interesting one most complicated one independence of irrelevant alternatives mm-hmm. lots of lots of long words okay so can you try and explain that Okay, so if every voter's preference between parrot and cat remains unchanged, then the group's preference between parrots and (laughs) parrots and cats will also remain unchanged. So, so this is basically saying that imagine we're voting between cats and parrots, Mm -hmm. and parrots wins. Okay. Mm 
if we could now say, what if we're voting between cats, parrots, dogs, um, elephants, and um, hippopotamuses? Mm-hmm. So now we put in some irrelevant alternatives, and now um, our rankings changed. So now cats are ahead of parrots. So we didn't change anything about all the people who liked parrots more than cats, still like parrots more than cats. Uh, but something changed by adding in these other alternatives. They were completely irrelevant in our cat-parrot decision, um, but it changed the outcome of the voting. So this has happened – this has been violated maybe in sometimes in some American presidential elections. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the year 2000, we had uh, George W. Bush beat Al Gore. Um, and there was a Green Party guy named Ralph Nader who um, got maybe two, three – a small percentage of the vote. Mm-hmm. But the people who voted for him almost definitely liked Al Gore more than Bush. But Bush ended up getting like 49 percent. Gore got a little bit less than that and Nader got like 3 percent or something. And it's pretty sure that if it – I think most people are pretty sure that if it was just between Bush and Gore and everyone voted, all those people voted, mm-hmm. that Gore would have won. But when we add in this third party who never really had a chance of winning, he took enough votes away from one person to change the alternative. Mm, yeah. So what did Kenneth Arrow figure out? Kenneth said that with the two options, majority voting is fair. Okay, like we said before, if there's only two options, people vote for their favorite. Whoever gets the most votes wins. That's good. And with three options, you say it because I think nothing is impossible. So with three options, there is no system of voting. Unless somebody finds a system of voting. And no one ever will because he proved that no one ever will. Unless someone will. Okay, Uh, which they won't. Unless someone will. Prove that there will be. Okay, so now, so we have, so we have to decide which rule we're going to break. So we could break our universal applicability and say that sometimes, if if our voters' preferences are kind of weird, we're going to say, "Guess what? You don't have a president. Guess what? You're not going out to dinner anywhere. That there's no answer, mm-hmm. so you're just going to be hungry." Yep. So that's probably not pretty. Probably not good. We probably need like a yep. best option. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to decide. Maybe independence of irrelevant alternatives. So independence of irrelevant alternatives is the easiest one to break, and then there are some pretty good voting systems that are pretty fair most of the time um, that do violate this one, like Mister Borda, and he was um, he actually inspired the Count on Sesame Street. Huh? Board account. The count. The count. Like one. Ah, 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 ah. You know the count? What's Sesame Street? You don't know Sesame Street? Never mind then. Is it the the puppet it's the, thing? Yes, it's the puppet thing. Oh. And Cookie Monster and oh. Bert and Ernie. Oh, that. We don't watch that. Oh. It's educational. It is? I mean, you might be a little bit old too for it, but. Okay, so when Borda... we were young, we watched Dora. Haha. <laughs> okay, Borda count. So, how does the Borda count work? Where 
Um, so everyone ranks all possible choices, and then we add up the ranks, and the lowest number wins. So if I if it's my first choice, it gets one point. Second choice gets two points. Blah blah blah. Keep on going down the list. Yep. Um, and so what is good about a board account? It gives more information by looking at the second and third choices. And all our choices. So yeah. we kind of include all that information that a lot of we've been talking about is like majority voting, that everyone just votes for their favorite choice. And that means you – if there's 10 choices, maybe your second favorite choice is pretty good and your 10th favorite choice is awful. Um, and if you're just voting for your first favorite, that, that doesn't um, – we don't get that information and maybe imagine there's like a hundred choices that everyone has a different favorite choice, but they all agree on the second best. Everyone agrees like the same thing as second best. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who should be president? That everyone Adam votes. Or Ryan. So or let's say everyone votes for themselves first. Okay. And then they all say like, Ariana is my second choice. Okay. Then Ariana. So Ariana is everyone's second choice. But they vote for everyone says, like, if I could choose anyone to be president, I would choose myself. But second is Ariana. And then <laughs> uh, if there's, like, hundreds and hundreds of people voting, um, then it seems like that's a pretty good choice, right? Yep. That she should be the winner. And this would give that information that um, she's the – she would definitely have just, like, two points for each person while everyone else would have – Riley would be number 100 for me, so she'd get 100 points there, and she'd never win. Okay, so there is a problem with the board account. Mm hmm And what is... Okay, so if you add an unpopular choice, like Adam being the president, then the vote will strategically... Then people can vote strategically to change the outcome. Okay, and this happens more when there's a smaller number of choices, or I guess, or, or a smaller number of voters, but I guess it can happen with um, a large number as well, that if we add in, or sometimes it could be, so um, So the, the way this would work would be, no one wants me to be president. So first, we're deciding between like Riley and who's who are you running? Who's the other person who might have a chance to win? Um, Nicole. Okay, so Riley and Nicole are in a fight to the death to become president. Hey. Um, and so it's pretty close, and no one wants me to be president. So if it's between Riley and Nicole, then maybe Nicole might win. Uh, but then what Riley does is she says, "Let's say Adam can be president too." And then tells some people, tells all her friends, vote. So, like, all of Nicole's supporters are honest. And they would say, Nicole's one, Riley's two, Adam's three. Adam's the worst. Um, but Riley says, tells all her supporters to vote strategically and put Riley one, and then Adam two, and Nicole three. So, Nicole gets way more points than they're fake ranking her last when they're lying about it because I have, they know I have no chance to win. They're just trying to make the... How dare you make me the bad guy? Um, you're, you could be the bad guy or you could be the loser. Hey! It's your choice, right? That sometimes you have to decide. No, you don't. Then be the loser. 
Okay, so by adding in an unpopular choice and then voting for that choice, you can like lower the actual competitors, lower their rankings, and get your favorite thing to win. Mm-hmm. And what did Borda say? Borda said it works for honest people. So Borda says always cooperate, trust everyone to be nice no matter what, and hope that that works. Yay. Yay, but maybe you're going to – that's how you end up with people taking advantage of the system. Okay. Nope. Anyway, so – Moving on, we have – There's this really, really hard name called – two guys, I think. Gibbard Satcher-Dwight Theorem. Okay, so it says any deterministic system – can be hacked, basically. Mm-hmm. So deterministic means there's no randomness involved. That If you put in the same preferences to begin with, it will always give you the same answer. Mm-hmm. So no flipping coins or anything. And it says that no matter what kind of system you have, there is some way that you can strategically vote. So I think this is assuming you have more than two choices to choose from. Um, there are ways to vote strategically. Yeah. So we had one more voting system which seems kind of ridiculous hmm. so but maybe maybe is good in certain situations okay it's called random dictator and you guys already know what dictator means and random so random dictator just randomly picks who gets to decide so you pick one person and say hey you're the dictator well, that might sometimes you can like oh I'll I'll be dictator today you tomorrow. So we're we're basically putting everyone's name into a hat or and picking out one name and saying this is the person who gets to decide. Um, so what are some good things about random dictator? That you can make decisions quickly. So, no math. So no counting, no getting everyone to write down a list of all their preferences. Yeah, and no strategic voting. So if you get chosen as the random dictator. Are, is there any reason for you to vote for anything other than your favorite? No. And if you're not chosen as random dicta- dictator, we don't care what you say, right? <laughs> if you're not the random dictator, you're the peasant who just has to do what the dictator says. How dare you. Okay. Uh, and what else is good about random dictator? That fair with small number of people and lots of repeating the game. Okay, so it's pretty fair if we're going to be deciding like where to go out to dinner a whole bunch of times – that before it starts, no one person has an advantage over another person, right? Yeah. Um, and But, like, if it's a super big decision, then maybe this is not the best way. To, if it's a super big decision, you only are going to make once. Maybe this isn't the best way to do it. Yep. Um, what and is so not so good about Random Dictator? It only cares about the first choice. It only cares about the first choice, so it doesn't. If everyone agrees on the second choice, that might be the best choice. Um, but we only are ever going to get someone's first choice. It's bad with lots of people. Why would it be bad with a lot of people? Because so we're voting against me, Nicole. You. For so who, who's, who's voting? Um, the country. The entire country of like millions of people. And then. Suddenly, some random guy said, hey, um, you, you pick. And then he picks Adam, and Adam turns out horrible. Or just, and it maybe isn't even you have to choose between those candidates. It's just 
you're letting one person decide something for a whole lot of people and you're ignoring the preferences of maybe a lot of people. Yep. Okay. So we've talked about in this book, we've talked about lots of ways of making decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think voting works? Like is voting a good option most of the time or are there other things that we've talked about that maybe are better than voting? Well, voting is a great option, but sometimes people can just be nice. So what other game theory kind of um, systems, ways to make decisions have we talked about in previous chapters? Well, let's see. Oh. Um, Auctions? Auctions. So... We had so, that sometimes we're saying, like, who gets to name the dog, right? Yep. Who gets to name our new dog? That was maybe we can auction, try and put a money price on how valuable that is for you or say how many chores are you going to do to be able to do that. Plus, auctions are fun. Auctions can be fun. Sometimes they're just writing down numbers on a piece of paper. Um, but still. But you could make them. There are equivalent auctions that could be very fun. Uh, what else do we have? We had taking turns, right? Yeah. So – is random dictator any better than taking turns? Um, no. So, random dictator kind of ends up pretty similar to taking turns. If it's we're going to decide where to go out to dinner a whole bunch of times, it just adds in the potential for a little bit of kind of unfairness that Riley gets to decide five days in a row, and then everyone's super sick of sushi because we've been eating sushi for like every day all week. I actually won't get sick of really good Japanese food. Um, what else do we have? We had um, I Cut You Choose kind of. Yeah. That we divide up. Maybe you divide up the decision, the different – we use split it to say here are the days we're going to go out to dinner. You can bid on which days. You can say which days you want to pick. Mm. Um, so there's lots of other systems and – Voting usually is pretty good for if you want to make decisions in a country or in a class of like 30 people. Yep. It might be a little bit hard to take turns and rotate and have everyone get their choices. But I think mm-hmm. in a family when there's only three, four, five, six people in a family, uh, usually voting is not the best way to make decisions. Yep. Okay. So epilogue. Okay, so epilogue just uh, is Called talking. leaving of, the nest. So at some point, our little cute little kids are going to grow up and be adults who go off into the wide, wide, wide world. And we hope they've learned some lessons from how they should behave in their family, how to be nice to people and cooperate and do things like that. And do that with people they know less well in the um, world. In the world. So how does that happen? Okay, so let's learn a new word. Social norms. What's a social norm? Social norms are common practices that hold humans group, human groups together, which can also explain lots of things that we have not think have not think about, like why we think eating pig is normal. So, so these are kind of. The things that society kind of tells us is good and bad. We kind of talked about this with conventions. So conventions like you should drive on the right side of the road. That's a good convention because everyone else also drives on the right side of the road. Yeah. Um, But this is more about what kind of behaviors, what are kind of things that are 
um, good things that people will say, good job, like that's a good thing for you to do, or what is a bad thing that that's a bad person who threw some garbage on the street, we don't like him anymore, and then we want to shame him and make him change his behavior. So, well, we sh- you shouldn't not like that person. You can just go change the behavior, right? So the way people smile, cha- the way people change behaviors is by giving some sort of social pressure. So imagine you go to school, but you can change behaviors by giving social happiness. So, so, so this this may happen that kind of like you go to school and everyone is like. Ew, your hair, your ponytail is so sideways. Like, why is that? Sideways so... ponytail is fine. So imagine, imagine you went to school and everyone was like, whoa, your hair is so dumb. You're, why is your hair like that? The next day, you probably would say, I don't want those kids to make fun of me. So I'm going to change the way I change my hairstyle. Actually, so it's more normal. Possible. No. So that a lot of I people, won't. a lot of people might do that. I won't because it's my hairstyle. What's uh, so wrong about it? It's called sideways ponytail. Have you never heard of it? I had never heard of it. Okay, so okay, what are some fine. what are, what are um, some more examples of social norms? So there's one in China called foot binding. So. So. So so so. So um, this is like starting almost a thousand years ago, I think. Yep. And what was foot binding? When girls are small, they bind their foot up together. What is binding? What is like they sort of kind of tie. So like you wrap string really tight around your foot, yep. basically, mm-hmm. and then that stops your foot from growing. And which is harmfully kind of dangerous. Um, so it's. Is it dangerous? Um, it's probably not very good for you, but they think it's somehow pretty or makes you walk gracefully or something. Um, but not very good. If you want to go dance and run and stuff, probably not good to have little baby feet. Mm. Okay, and that was a practice that everyone was like, whoa, those feet are so beautiful. And that continued for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before finally people kind of said, nah, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another example of this is smoking that um, yeah. 50 years ago so that's right now when you say smoking people are like ew that's gross uh, but it used to be if you see someone smoking that's how you know they're cool and they seem like a super cool person that's weird and the social norm was kind of the cool kid in school is the one who's smoking a cigarette not always so that that's what the social norm used to be was smoking okay. pretty cool and the, and then through a lot of work of people trying to say pe- discourage people from smoking that now smoking is viewed as something that is not very desirable yep um any other social norms we want to talk about some weird, dumb kids that drive cars at each other as fast as they can, playing chicken, and throw toilet paper in their neighbor's house. So for me, like, my generation would be like, whoa, that sounds super awesome. Like, those kids must be, like, the coolest kids ever. And Riley, kids these days uh, just want to stay at home and play Minecraft and not even go race and crash their cars. No, we can go outside, but racing crash their cars is the dumbest idea ever because number one, you'll get hurt. Number two, you'll get hurt. Number three, if you 
if you swerve, everyone will think you're dumb, so you want to get hurt. Number four, you want to get hurt just because of popularity. Number five, no offense, but that seems like a really dumb idea. Okay. Uh, so these social norms that we want our kids to engage in pro-social behaviors, do the nice kind of things of being honest and nice and not stealing and being helpful and make those all the kind of things they take and go out into the world. Just a question. Why do adults and some people like to drink coffee? Why do adults and some people like to drink coffee? really bitter. So... Some people, I love the taste of coffee, just like plain black coffee, no sugar, no milk, nothing in it. Uh, I think it's delicious. Like, do you not like coffee ice cream? What's that? It's ice cream, coffee-flavored ice cream. Oh, yes. Do you like it or not like it? Mm, um, It's fine. So, not my in my favorite, not in my favorites. So you can get that there are some kinds of coffee. You can get some kind of like latte, um, mocha kind of thing that is like milk and chocolate in your coffee that kind of has a good kind of taste. Yeah, but then why? So lots of things. Um, alcohol is another example of something that does uh. not taste very good for kids and grown-ups. Um, learn to enjoy the taste of it. I think the first time you try wine or something. It's called, I accidentally drank a little bit of beer when I thought it was peach juice. All right. Uh, I wasn't even going to bring that up, but. Oh. That was, right. but yeah. So when you try that, you'll probably say, ooh, that's gross. And some people, even when they're grownups, very much dislike the taste of alcohol or dislike like plain coffee is super bitter um, for them. Uh, same thing, like super dark chocolate as well. Do you like? Nope, I like milk. So like 90, 99% dark chocolate is also very bitter and some people enjoy the taste of it, some people don't. I like Kinder chocolate because it's super sweet. <laughs> okay, uh, and let's read. So close with Adam Smith. Okay, Adam Smith, not this Adam Adam Smith says, It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from the regard to their own self-interest. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love, and never talk to them of our own necessities, but of their advantages. No, 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 wait. People do give us food because they want us to be happy, too. People do take the smaller piece of cake because they want us to be happy, too. This is only for some people, and that is only for some people. It's called some people. Okay, so th- this is this is more for dealing with complete strangers. So this is something that is very nice about the way that kind of markets, free markets work, that when you go to the store... You don't have to worry about – you don't really have to worry very much about them trying to cheat you and trick you and sell you rotten food and any of these things because even if these people are 100% greedy Scrooges – No, they're not. So even if some people are greedy, right? Some people are Scrooges like, for example, Mr. Scrooge. Um, that even if he is the biggest, Scroogiest, greediest person in the world – Because his name is Scrooge. 
Um, he is probably better off if he owns a supermarket. He wants that supermarket to always have the food that people want to buy and have food that's fresh and not rotten and always has it in stock and have workers who are pretty nice to you and don't make fun of your ponytail. Um, uh, it's not weird. Because if they don't have the food you like or the food they have is rotten, you're not going to go back and shop there again. And then he's not going to get all his um, swimming pool full of gold coins. Yes, but they still so, do care. So this is that some people care. Um, but even if people are greedy, if things are working the way we want them to, if Adam Smith is right, then their greediness encourages them to serve humanity by making things that people want to buy. So that is a pretty nice thing. Uh, and then they close. Do we want to tell that story? Or? Nah. Okay. So we have reached the end of the book. Yep. And we're going to quickly um, summarize a few of the most important things we've read. So Riley, what do you want to take away? What do you want to remember from this book um, as we continue on with our lives okay number one prisoners dilemma you can either deflect or cooperate with others and we and the prisoners dilemma says we should always defect um because that gets you to go to jail less right nope so i thought that's the prisoners dilemma is you should always well, well prison that that's what that that's what it says but like there's a better way what so what's the better way that comes to the second one of what we want to remember. Tip for tap. Very good in life. So, so I, th I think going back to the prisoner's dilemma, okay. um, the th I think the thing we want to take away is don't do like a one-shot prisoner's dilemma. Try to avoid those situations where you're in a one-shot prisoner's dilemma because then bad things, you will probably have the other person not want to cooperate with you. So yep. we want to have repeated prisoner's dilemmas where you – so repeated interactions with people where you go to the grocery store every day for years and years and years – then that grocery store owner is going to be nice to you. If you're only going to go to the grocery store once and never come back, maybe he can cheat you and he'll get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to have repeated interactions where we're doing this, possibly this prisoner's dilemma, uh, many, many, many times, and we know we are going to keep interacting with these people in the future. Okay. So tip for tap. It's a way of winning prisoner style. And you should always start with cooperate and then do whatever the other person did last time. Okay. So in general, we start by being nice. And then if someone is mean to us, we can kind of be a little bit mean to them. And prisoner's dilemma, we talked about this sort of the tit for tat. We talked about when they did this contest of what's the best prisoner's dilemma. Um, that tit for tat, kind of even if you know that the other person is doing tit for tat, I can tell you what my strategy is, and there isn't really any way to beat it. There's nothing else that is going to do better than this basic tit for tat. Yep. Okay. Um. Now, another one, ultimatum game. And an ultimatum game is that someone gives you a uh, amount, and then if you accept it, you both get money, and if you reject it, then you... Both don't get money. Okay. And, and so that leads to dictator games. Same math. 
ultimatum, but the receiver takes whatever the giver gives without choice. Okay. And so the, so we talked about these things of like how people have a sense of fairness and being able to say that's fair, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And at what age people stop being greedy little monsters and start not valuing. Not always. It's not impossible. So in general, we thought that like little kids are going to say, give me all the candy. I don't care about anyone else. And then right. as they grow up, they become right. a little nicer. Well, they do become more nicer, but right for the first time. Okay. Anyways, um, auctions, my favorite. It's a way of fairness in the house. Okay, so auctions that we can decide, kind of put a money value or a work value or something on how much you want something, and that kind of helps us decide, like, who really wants what. Like, how much do you really want to watch iPad? Say, I'm willing to do... 100 hours of chores to watch iPad, then that must mean you really, really want it. And I then we give the iPad to the person who wants it the most. I don't really want it, but the fact that Kiki always steals my iPad and says that it's his annoys me a lot. Okay, next, threats. Threats, it, threats, yeah, threats. And make good threats, you have to make it believable. Make a pre-commitment and follow through. Your threat. Okay, so make your threats reasonable. So we talked about uh, what we talked about that I'm turning this car around and canceling our vacation if you poke your brother one more time. Unreasonable. Un- not unbelievable, right? That's not believable. And pre-commitment, we were talking about our doomsday machines. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of any examples of a pre-commitment? If Um, the one where you sign contracts. So you sign, so it could be a contract or it could be just publicly staying, saying something and then we think you're concerned about enough about your reputation. Um, for example, if we say, um, Riley, you can only watch iPad for 10 more minutes and then you need to stop watching iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I might not want to follow through on that threat. But if I say you can only watch iPad for 10 more minutes and then it's your brother's turn. Now I have a kind of a pre-commitment that I have someone who's going to be at least as angry at me if I let you keep watching past 10 minutes. So I might as well take the iPad away from you because I'm going to get just as much anger from someone else as I would from you. So that's kind of giving me that incentive. Yep. And yeah, that's the last one. Hope you guys enjoyed this a lot of parts and opinion time. Yep, so that was a good book. I hope we all learned something from it, and we'll be back in a few weeks when we start reading our next book. Which is called... Which is called... I forgot. It's called TBD. To be determined. See you next time.